I have something I want to talk to you about as we continue our, our series um, on what to expect in 2023. And more specifically, I want to talk to you about what your kids can expect in 2023. Now, for me, I have been, uh, gosh, I'm coming up on, on two decades of youth ministry. I know if you're looking at me and you don't know me, you might be thinking, how in the world what did he start when he was like five? Uh, no, I, I'm actually a little bit older, uh, but I started youth ministry when I was 20 years old. And let me say this, um, if your kids are in youth here now, you're blessed. And I don't mean that to put myself up on a pedestal. I, I'm, not, I'm just saying that the kids I had when I was 20, they were my guinea pigs. Like, I, listen, I was trying to figure this thing out, you know. Like, I'm, I'm 20 and not married, no kids myself, and I'm just trying to kind of figure this thing out. And, you know, I, I'm, I mean, I knew the Bible, I'd studied the Bible, but I'm just saying 20 years later, your kids have it way, way better. I, mean, I don't even know why parents let me take their kids when I was 20 to youth camps or to, to conferences in Dallas. And I mean, my youth events when I was 20, we almost burned the church down one time. Uh, we almost flooded the church one time. I'm just saying, like, your kids, you're, you're blessed. You're a blessed family to be here. Um, you know, and listen, now I have kids of my own. Um, you know, almost two decades in, I mean, I'm, I'm knocking on 40's door. Um, so I've got my own kids, eight, six, and three. And what that's done is it's, it's given me a lot more mercy towards parents. Because when I was 20, and I had these teenagers, and I'm looking at their issues, and I'm looking at their problems, and I'm going, what is wrong with these parents? bunch of idiots. I mean, that, you know, that's the perspective. I'm, so I'm just telling you, this is another reason why you're just blessed, because I don't look at you that way. I've got my own kids, and I'm going, whoo, you know, it's, it's not easy. I mean, I was the guy that I'm in Walmart, and I'm watching that kid, you know, throw a fit, misbehavior, whatever, you know, cry because they can't have the candy or the toy, and I'm going, my kid would never. <laughs> that's probably the worst thing you could ever say in your life. Because, yes, my kid did. Well, this is just a little side story for you. I was in Hobby Lobby the other day, and this mom, she comes around the corner pushing the buggy, and she has her, looks like about a four-year-old boy. He is holding on to the bottom of the buggy, and he's just going. I mean, she is pushing, and he's just, he's laid out on the ground. She's dragging him. She doesn't care. 20-year-old me would admit, what is wrong with her? Almost 40-year-old me with kids says, I get it. I get it. Uh, it makes, makes perfect sense. I'm not, no, I'm not dealing with that. So, uh, but listen, I love youth ministry. I love working with your kids. We have so much fun. I, I live for youth camp. If, if you don't know this about me, you should know that I love youth camp. I get excited about youth camp, um, leading up to it, all the planning, all the, everything that goes into it. I love, matter of fact, if I could convince our youth leaders to spend two weeks at camp, that's what we would do. I wish youth camp was two weeks and maybe three weeks. I would spend all summer at youth camp, and I have a few of the teenagers that feel that way. You probably feel that way about your teenagers. Yeah, take them. Take them two weeks. Um, really, our limitation is, is our youth leaders. I'm putting all the blame on them. They don't want to take off work for two weeks and, you know, live in, live in little cabins and eat, eat camp food. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but I, I love working with them. We, we have so much fun. The other day, we were, we were back there because uh, on Wednesdays, we do life groups just like you do, uh, like the adults do. So ha- as y'all hear a sermon and then discuss it throughout the week um, in your life groups, we do the same thing. So 
I'll preach a sermon uh, back there, and then we'll discuss it on Wednesdays. And so we ask them questions. We ask them to, you know, talk and engage. And I don't know how y'all's life groups are going. Maybe y'all just talk. Maybe y'all open up and share. Uh, teenagers don't exactly do that. Um, so it's some, there's a lot of awkward silence. You know, we're sitting around, and I'm asking them questions, and then I just kind of sit there. I look around. Okay, well, well I'll say something. Uh, and then, you know, they'll say something, and then we'll kind of get it going. But it's like you have to break the ice every time. Uh, but then I asked this question the other day. And, I, you know, I've asked so many thought-provoking questions that I think, oh, this is so good. This is, no. I asked this one question the other day. And the question was, where or when do you feel the furthest away from God? And I'm telling you, we, we split the guys and the girls up, and they're in different groups, unanimously, without hesitation, every single one of them said school. Every one of them. They, it was school, yeah, oh, school, yep, I agree with that. School, school, yeah, my school, my school. And then they started talking about it and, and filling me in and telling me, yeah, it is so difficult at school. When I'm at school, I, this is the furthest point that I feel away from God because I'm completely surrounded by sin, by teenagers who aren't living for God. And it's the most difficult time that I have living for God, walking out my faith. And I'm telling you, this was unanimous. There, there wasn't a second answer. I mean, some of y'all are glad that they didn't say you're home, right? Because look, teenagers, they will tell on you. I know things about, you know, <laughs> but they will. They, they will. Um, but they're telling me this, and it, it, it's eye-opening. You know, you can kind of assume, I mean, look, today isn't about bashing the school system. I'm not uh, promoting, um, you know, homeschooling. Um, you know, nothing wrong with it. Homeschooling is great. If you don't, fine. But, but here, here's a question that I do want to pose in this, it, because I understand that everyone can't just, you can't hear me say, hey, listen, your kids told me that their most difficult time is whenever they're at school. They feel the furthest away from God when they're at school. And I know that I can't tell you that, and tomorrow you say, well, oh, well we're just going to start homeschooling. I mean, not everyone can do that. But a question I want to pose and, and put in your minds this morning is, yeah, but what are they receiving in your home that they can take with them to school? What are we equipping them with so that they can face this challenge? Now that we're all on the same page and we realize, listen, this is coming straight from them. And they are saying, listen, this is when it is most difficult for me. I am struggling. That's what they're telling me. I am struggling to walk out my faith. I'm struggling to not give in to sin. I have every opportunity to give in to sin in this environment, in this secular environment, in this culture that is school. Now, I want to give you hope this morning because I want to show you some teenagers in the Bible that made it. Because no matter what we talk about this morning, this isn't a doom and gloom. This is a teenagers can absolutely make it. And I absolutely believe that your teenagers can make it. And I want to show you some teenagers in the Bible that made it. And I think made it in an even more perverse, more degraded, more just awful, horrific environment and culture than what even your teenagers are facing in the school system. These teenagers in the Bible... Um, their, their names aren't exactly, you know, super popular. Uh, you, you hadn't really heard a whole lot about, you know, them. I'll go ahead and tell you their names. Um, they're, they're, they're hard to even remember for myself because it's just not that Sunday school show up and you hear about them. Maybe you have, but uh, Hananiah, Michelle, Daniel, and Azariah. That's, that's the names and the characters that we're going to be discussing this morning. And these were teenagers that they were actually prisoners of war. 
All right, so, so Judah had given in to sin. They'd been disobedient to God for so long that God allowed the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar to come in, lay siege on Judah, and he then takes all the Hebrew children away from their home. They're now prisoners of war, ripped from their homes, ripped from their families, ripped from their environment, ripped from their culture. I'm sure these, these teenagers, they had hopes and dreams of what their future might be, and they were growing up in their culture, and now they have been ripped from that, taken from their, their godly structure and their godly teaching, brought into the, the city of Babylon and put under their rule and put under their reign and their instruction. And that's what these teenagers are facing. Now, not to get into a whole lot of detail, but I mean, Babylon was one of the most perverse, godless uh, cultures ever on the earth. So, so bad, Scripture even prophesies that Babylon would never be inhabited again. Once it was destroyed, that was it. It will not be inhabited again. People have tried throughout history, and it's not. God wiped them out. But I want to show you these teenagers and their life. I want to show you the attack that was on their life. And ultimately, really, the attack that I see on their life is the same attack that I see on your teenagers' lives. But these teenagers, they made it. And the very first attack that they faced was their identity. You see, their, their names that I gave you, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, this was their Hebrew names. They were their God-given, their parents gave them this name. And whenever you go study out their names, you see that each one of their names either ends with an E-L or an I-A-H. And these names are actually a reference to God. These are Hebrew children who would have served Yahweh, been raised up in, in learning God's way. They would have learned the, the Old Testament and been taught God's word is how they would have been raised. So much so that their parents gave them these names that every time they heard their name, they're hearing a form of God. Their, their name was a reference to God. That's their name. Here's the names that y'all are probably more familiar with. When they were taken into Babylon, when they were taken into this culture that was counter to the culture that they lived in in their homes, they were given these names, Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, everyone, that's the story we heard about growing up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. The very first attack on these teenagers that the world system put on them was to attack their identity. Their parents gave them a godly identity and gave them their name and said, every time you hear your name, it's going to be speaking of God, of Yahweh, the God that we serve, the God that delivered the Israelites. This is the God that, that we serve. And they were taught this. The very first thing that the Babylonian king does is says, no, you can't have that name. No, you're living here under our culture, and we're going to change your name. And it wasn't just a generic name. Their names were changed to do the exact opposite. Now their names aren't pointing towards Yahweh, pointing towards God. Their names are now pointing towards the Babylonian gods, the, the gods of the, the moon that they served, these, these statues that they had erected. So they attacked their identity. Then I want to show you this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. It says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. Or let me say it this way. They were to be indoctrinated. They were to be indoctrinated by the Babylonian culture and the Babylonian teaching and the Babylonian religion. They were to be brainwashed for three years. That was their plan. 
And at the end of this time, they were to stand before the king. I want to say this about this, this food. This food would have been sacrificed to their, their false gods, to their statues. So the Babylonian king says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change who your identi- what your identity is. And then you're going to socialize like me. You're going to act like me. You're going to eat like me. You're going to drink like me. You are going to take on our culture. And this food would have been sacrificed to their gods, to their false gods. And I want you to see what Daniel's response is in verse 8. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now why not? Why would he not do this? I believe it was because he was raised in the Lord. He was raised in a godly home, and he was equipped in his home to be able to face this. Keep in mind, now he's been ripped from his home. His parents are nowhere around to say, hey, listen, you remember what I told you? You really shouldn't do this. He's now in a godless culture, in a godless society, who wants him to reject his God. And he said, listen, all, all they're asking him to do is eat this food, drink this, drink this wine, just participate in our culture. And Daniel says he, it says he resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Why? Because I believe he was taught scriptures like this. I want to read this in Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 13. See, Daniel would have been taught this. He would have grown up hearing this. His parents would have put this in him and instilled this in him. Exodus 34, verse 13, says, You shall tear down their altars. Now, this is, this is Moses, and he's just gotten the new tablets, and he's speaking to the children of Israel. And he says, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Least you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. Daniel would have grown up knowing this. He would have grown up being taught this. This was put on the inside of him so that when he faced it, now they didn't know this was going to happen. Daniel's parents had no clue that one day a Babylonian king is going to take him as a prisoner of war and force him to do what he says. Daniel said, no, I'm not going to act like that. I was raised better than that. I was raised in a godly home, and even though I've got this pressure of the world and this pressure of society, I'm not going to behave this way. I refuse because he had God's word in him. Listen, as we talk about Babylon, I want you to know this morning that Babylon is a type and a shadow of the world and and the culture that we face and an example that God gives us in Scripture. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the story that we're most familiar with, he, he erects this golden statue and he tells him, listen, everyone, whenever you hear the music, you are to bow down and you are to worship this golden statue. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you know the story. They refused to do that. They said, we're not going to do that. Word gets back to the king, and now the king pulls them in front of him and says, you're not going to do this? What's going on? Here's their response. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. 
their parents weren't there either. Their parents weren't there to, to hold their hand, to say, now listen, this is what we talked about. Isn't it amazing? These teenagers, and this is, this is the, the hopeful part of this. And the reason why I believe that your teenagers can absolutely face the culture that they're up against. Why they can absolutely, because these teenagers did it. The, these parents made sure that they could do it. Their parents weren't there. And these teenagers, I mean, our teenagers have it tough. But they don't have a king saying, listen, if you don't act this way at school, we're taking you out back and throwing you in the furnace. They were facing life and death decisions. And they said, no, we have on the inside of us, we have, we have made it a point in our heart that we are going to serve God. We are going to serve the one true God. And there is nothing that you can do to change that. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could say that about every kid back there, every teenager back there? If we said, you know what? We have done our part, and we have instilled in them so strongly the Word of God that when they face this, they're going to be able to withstand it. Because listen, it doesn't matter. Today, it doesn't matter if your kids are in private school, if they're homeschooled, if they're in public school, if they're doing the online thing or a combination of both. It does not matter. At some point, your kids or your grandkids they will be face-to-face with a godless culture and society, and you won't be around. I don't mean you'll be dead. I just mean you won't be there with them. You won't be there with them to hold their hand. You won't be there with them to to remind them, hey, listen, don't don't do that. That's why it's so important that what we do now and, and what we put in them now has so much value. This is, listen, this is why daily I'm having conversations with my kids. My wife's having daily conversations with our kids. Our kids right now, they're in public school. They're eight, six, and three. And daily, so that's second grade, kindergarten, and then the other one's in in preschool. And daily, we are having conversations about what? About the culture that they live in. Daily. Hey, hey, Ainsley, do you hear anything today? Do you hear any words that you don't know what they mean? Did anybody say or do anything that was upsetting? Were there any situations that you didn't know how to respond, how to act? Daily we're having these conversations. Daily we're checking their backpack. We're, we're, they'll get little notes. We're, you better believe I'm reading their little notes that are folded up. And we're checking pockets and we're looking at books. And, and we're letting them know that the books that they can and can't read. And we're expecting them to follow our rules, the rules that we have set in our home of, no, you can't do that. And daily... Even in the second grade. Why? Because I've been doing youth ministry for 20 years. I I see the heartache and I see the things that they get into and I see the pain and I'm going, I better get my act together. I better work my tail off right now because I know what they're up against. And I know what your teenagers are up against. And I I know the fight that you're in with them right now and the fight that I'm in with them and the, the partnership that we have together in this. And so we're having these daily conversations and the reason why we're doing this is because I'm accountable. I am accountable to God for what happens with my kids, how I raise my kids. And I want to say that first because I'm going to read some scripture that I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not going to be easy to hear, but it's going to be challenging. And I hope that it challenges you the way that it challenges me. Because as I read this, I'm telling you, this is how I live my life. I'm not reading this next passage to you as, hey, you need to take this and you do this. I'm saying, hey, here is what I'm doing right now with my kids. And I'm encouraging you that you should be doing the same. 
So let's look at this. It's a familiar um, parable that Jesus talks about, and we're going to apply this parable to our kids today. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, this is the parable of the talents. And it says this, starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey. He's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. Now, for today's conversation, we're going to take that word property and we're going to put children in that place. So let me read it that way. He called his servants and entrusted them his children. To one he gave five talents, or children. To the other he gave two children. To the other he gave one children, each according to his ability. Let me stop here for a second. I want to encourage you with this. You have the ability to raise the kids that God has given you. Your kids are an absolute blessing. I know it doesn't always feel that way. I know it. I've been there. But you absolutely have the ability to raise them in the Lord. You have every God-given strength, wisdom, talent, all the ability that you need. I believe God has put it in you. So don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't feel like you can't make it. You absolutely can. And you have a wonderful church. And might I say a wonderful youth group to help you with this. Amen. I expected a better at no. We'll get there. We'll see if y'all still amen me after this. <laughs> Each according to his own ability. Then he went away, and he who had received five talents or five children went at once and traded them. Now listen, this is where the story isn't just apples to apples. Some of y'all got too excited. Wait, I can trade? No, you can't trade your kid. I can trade my 15-year-old for that 8-year-old model. That was much easier. No, that's, that, but here's the point I want to make. He went and did something. He was active. He was productive. He was working. And he, I believe he worked his tail off. And I want us to make the connection and the correlation with this story, with it being our children. And so he, he, he traded them, and it says, and he made five more talents, or five more children. And this is the part where, yeah, it's not this direct, but let's look at it this way. One of the first commands, the first commands in all the Bible is be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. So if I can one day stand before God and say, hey, God, you gave me these three children, and I raised them in the Lord, and they, I raised them to, to seek after a godly husband, and they had children, and they multiplied, and they raised their kids in the Lord. That's what we're talking about. That's our goal in this. So also, he went to the one who had two talents, and he made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, the one child, he went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. How does this look? How do we apply this to parenting? What does it look like for a parent to dig a hole in the ground? Maybe it's taking a passive approach to parenting, kind of that back seat. Well, I'm just going to let them figure it out. I'm going to let them, you know, they need to make their own mistakes. They, they, they grow that way. I'm going to let them navigate this. Well, you know, all the other kids are doing it. I turned out fine. Did you? I mean that lovingly. But, but do, we, do we even want our kids to turn out okay? I, I, I don't think that's our goal. I don't think that's your goal. I know it's not my goal. Not that they would turn out okay. 
I want them to turn out better than I did. Hopefully that's every parent's vision for their kids. I want what, no matter how great you were, you want them to be better than you. You want them to be more successful. I want their relationship with God to be 10 times better than my relationship. I want them to raise kids that are 10 times better and closer and, and doing things and driving God's kingdom forward. That's what I want. That's why being a, taking a passive approach and not instructing, not guiding, not teaching, not actively sitting them down. That's why, listen, we don't take a, a passive approach in our parenting. Passive would be, I never check your backpack. I never ask you how you're doing. I never ask about, hey, are, are you uncomfortable in this? Is anything going on? Are there we are actively pursuing. I'm not waiting for them to come to me with an issue. I'm going to them. Hey, what's going on? Let's talk about this. Maybe digging a hole is trying to, to be their friend, trying to, trying to keep them happy. can't tell you how many times I've heard this one. And I get it. Listen, I get it. 20-year-old me wouldn't have understood this. I understand. It's not easy. And when they're kicking and screaming, and when they're 15 and they're kicking and screaming, it's not easy. The easy passive approach is, well, I, just wanna, I don't want to rock the boat. I just want to keep things okay. Listen, I, I, I've had parents that I've met with, and I've had a teenager come to me and say, listen, social media is destroying my life. I'm dealing with depression. Uh, I'm struggling with my identity. I'm struggling with my gender. And it all, this is what they're telling me. I'm going, yeah, I, I, I see that. And they're telling me that it's social media caused this. So we meet, me and the student, we meet with the parent. Yeah, I see that too. Everybody's on board. But nothing changes because we don't want the child to not be happy. Over and over that approach, I've seen it happen. Not by any of you in here. I'm just saying, this would be digging a hole. Letting your kids make their own decisions would be digging. And now, I don't mean, let them choose what, you know, what cereal they want. Let them, let them have their own style and what they dress, you know, nothing too crazy. But let, let them make some choices. Teach them how to make choices. One of the best things you could ever do as a parent, teach your kids how to make choices and how to navigate the consequences of their choices. But letting them make decisions on whether or not they should go to church, that's digging a hole. Letting them make a decision about whether or not they're going to youth camp, that's digging a hole. Scripture says, forsake not the assembly of the saints. That includes the teenagers. Don't, don't, don't forsake that. That, see, that's not a choice for them to make. That is following Scripture. And so by taking that backseat approach in parenting, we're digging a hole. Or expecting, honestly expecting me to do all the work. Listen, I, I love your kids. I love your kids, and I will fight for your kids. And some of you, we have been in the ring together, and we have fought and I'm telling you, whenever, whenever you get me on board and there's an issue and we need to fight, get out of my way. I'm a bulldozer. I don't care who I upset. I don't care who I offend. If we are fighting for a kid, get out of my way. You better just do what I ask. Like, that's, what I, that's my commitment to you as parents. I love your kids. But I can't be the only one fighting for them. I want to fight with you. 
I want to partner with you. I want to join up with you. I want to hear what your struggles are, what you're facing, what you're dealing with, what you don't know how to navigate. And I want to team up with you and us fight it together because if I'm the only one fighting, you're just digging a hole. Verse 19. Y'all still love me? Okay. I love your kids, so you better love me. Now, after a long time, verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants came to settle accounts with them. Now, I don't know how you feel when you hear this, but I get this trembling feeling to think that one day I'm going to settle accounts with the creator of the universe on how I handled my children. I have to settle accounts with him. And that strikes fear in my heart. And he who had received the five children came forward bringing five children more, saying, Master, you delivered to me these five children here. I have made five more. As I said earlier, you produce godly offspring. You raise them. They produce godly offspring. It's a beautiful thing that God designed. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the same with the the one who had received two. And then verse 24 says, He also who had received the one child came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. See, when I read this, my thought is what he really went up to him and says, Master, I don't know you. Master, I don't know your character. Master, I don't, I don't know. I don't honor you. I don't respect you. I, I don't really know you. And so I went and hid your, your talent in the ground. Or I went and hid from my responsibility as a parent. That's really what I hear when I compare this to, to parenting. I went and hid from my responsibility. Listen to me, parents. I know it's not easy. I'm in it with you. And it is a daily grind. And half the time, you barely have enough time to get your kids home from school and feed them and make sure they brush their teeth and do their homework and get them to bed. And did you even remember to eat yourself? I get it. It's difficult. But it is worth it. And we have the ability to do it. And you are filled with the Spirit of God, empowered by Him, graced by Him to do what we are doing because there is nothing greater that we could be doing. Nothing greater that we could be doing than raising godly children. His master said to him, you wicked and slothful servant. I don't want want to hear that. I don't want to hear that for myself. I don't want you to hear that. I would much rather us take what God has given us and take this approach. That God, you've given me this many children. And you've entrusted them to me. And I am going to do whatever I have to do, and I am going to fight for them. Listen, some of this, this was just instilled in me by my own dad. You want to talk about, listen, I've described myself as a bulldozer. He was like a pack of bulldozers. Like, get out of his way. If you messed with one of his kids, get out of his way. And so that was what I watched and observed, and and it was instilled in me. You fight for your kids. You don't back down. You don't give in. So what can your kids expect in 2023? I've got a few things I want to give you this morning, and I broke it into two sections. And the first is really what what my kids can expect from me. 
and really what I think your kids should expect from you. The first thing is my kids should expect from me in 2023 that I'm going to fight for them. And your kids, they should have an expectation on you that you are going to fight for them. Or, or your grandkids, that you are going to fight for them and do whatever it takes. Listen, for some of you, fighting for them might mean you have to take their cell phone. That would be fighting for them. For some of you, husbands, dads, it's telling that daughter, no, you can't date that boy. No, you have no business dating that boy. Girls, same for the, the, the girls. No, you have no business dating that boy. That's fighting for our kids. That's seeing ahead, seeing their future, and not letting them stumble on their own, but stepping in and saying, no, I'm going to fight for you. No, you can't wear that. No, you can't act this way. No, your butt's going to church. Fighting for our kids. That's what my kids can expect. They can expect me to teach them the Word of God. Now listen, I love to teach the Word of God, and I'm having fun with you this morning, but I love to teach teenagers the Word of God. But I can't be the only one teaching them. And I don't depend on our children's ministry to teach my kids the Word of God. And I learned this early. There was a Bible story that I felt like the kid, my kids should have known. And my first thought, I'm just being real with you, I thought, well, they hadn't learned that in kids' church. And I went, you know what? That's the wrong attitude. I'm going to make sure my kids know the Word of God. I'm going to teach them the Word of God. They're going to hear it from me. My kids can expect that. My kids can expect that I'm going to instruct them. They are going to receive instruction from me on the Bible and life issues. Listen, none of my kids are in here, and by the time they hear this years from now, they'll, they'll be older, so I can say this. We're working with our oldest on manipulation. All right? And you know, and it's cute, and especially with girls, and they get the little, little eyes, and they do the head thing, and they look all sweet. But we're telling her, no. We are instructing her. When you act this way, that is manipulation. It is not correct. You do not behave that way. My kids can expect instruction from me all across every every aspect of life. I'm going to have difficult and uncomfortable conversations with my kids. They can expect that from me. And I know it's difficult and it's uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable for them and it's uncomfortable for us. But we are going to have difficult, uncomfortable conversations. Nothing is off the table. No topic is off the table. I don't have boys. I have all girls. And I'm telling you, there is no topic that they won't hear from their dad on. Might be uncomfortable. Might be awkward. But let me tell you, they're going to hear about sex from their dad, not some other boy that they meet at school. Because they'll have something different to tell them. They are going to hear every area of life. They're going to hear it from their dad. That's what they can expect. And I believe your kids should expect to hear from you. Expect to be instructed by you. And I'm going to raise them in a counterculture home. They can expect to be raised in a counterculture home. We're not just going to accept things just because the culture is doing it. Well, you know, every kid has this. Every kid's doing this. Every kid's participating in this. Every kid acts this way. Every kid looks at this, watches this, listens to this. Well, I don't care if other teenagers are dating. I'm responsible for deciding whether you're ready for dating. That's how I'm going to instruct them. It's up to me whether you're ready to go to a high school dance, not 
you automatically go because, oh, you're a junior, you're a senior, you're ready. No. It's up to me to decide whether or not you're ready for a phone or not. Listen, I'm, I'm not like anti-phone. What I'm anti is just handing a kid a phone and saying, here, good luck. Because I know y'all, I know most of the men in here. You would never hand your kid a gun and say, here, good luck, figure it out. But a cell phone's no different. And dating's no different. And all these areas of life are no different. We can't hand access to, and I'm not going to hand access to my kids and say, here, figure it out. If you make a mistake, we'll talk later. I'm going to instruct them, and I'm going to be the one to decide when they're ready for it. And just because culture says it doesn't mean we're doing it. That's what they can expect from me. A few other things I want to mention in what kids can expect in 2023 from the world and what we should expect to help them fight. So these things are what they should expect in 2023 from the world and what you as a parent should expect to help them fight against. First thing is the spirit of this world will want to change their identity. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. It's not a new tactic. It's the, the same, same strategy. But it's going to increase and increase and increase and get harder and harder. Your kids, their identity is under attack. It is not popular at all. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm having conversations with them on a weekly basis. It is not easy to be a Christian in, in school. And listen, we, we as adults cannot sit back and say, well, it was the same way when I was in school. No, no, it just wasn't. Things are absolutely different. I'm not saying it was easy for you or for, it wasn't easy for me or my parents or their grandparents, whoever. But things are different. And the kids today, they're not only facing it in person when they go to school, they don't have an escape from it. They're facing the social media pressures daily. They do not escape it. I'm just sharing with you what they're telling me. And the world is after their identity. Isn't it interesting that with all social medias, all video games, that the first thing you have to do is create a username? The first thing you have to do is change your name online. I just find that interesting. And in most of the most popular apps, they're designed so that you can change the way you look, change the way you sound. I just find it interesting as the world goes after and the spirit of this world goes after our kids' identity. Second thing is they will have greater access to the desires of the flesh. We need to know and recognize this morning that our children in 2023 and beyond, it's only going to increase their access to the desires of the flesh and the degradation that they have access to. It's only going to increase. The apps are getting worse. The paths to give in to sin, they're getting easier. And it's only going to get worse, and we have to recognize that as their parents. The weight of social media will increase. This is one of the number one things that your kids tell me is the weight and the pressure that they feel to be like other people, to look like other people, to be at the events that other people are at, 
They're constantly scrolling through and seeing what so-and-so is doing and, and what they're wearing and where they're going. And listen, to an extent, we feel that pressure. We're, you're on social media. You, you see it. You experience it. But you have a brain that's over 25 years old that's better developed and you can process it a little bit better. They're, they're struggling. And I can't tell you the conversations, the countless conversations of them telling me about the weight and the pressure one of, them, one of them told us last week, they cannot shut their mind off. No matter how hard I try, I can't shut my mind off. They said, yeah, I, I hear about, you know, turning on worship music, and, and I turn on worship music, and I want to get along with God, and no matter what I do, I cannot shut it off. I'm constantly thinking about what's next. What do I have to do? What's so-and-so doing? Do, have, I, have I checked this? Have I, have I liked this? The weight of social media is only going to increase. And I'm telling you right now, it's causing, it's causing major issues. And it's only going to increase. I'm sure you've heard the example of, you know, cooking a, a frog in a pot. You start it off just a little, turn the dial up, get a little hotter, a little hotter, until finally it's, it's come accustomed to it and doesn't even realize that it's been cooked. Y'all heard that story? All right, I didn't know that was like a real story or I was just told that. All right, if y'all heard it too, the enemy, Satan, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And what I'm telling you is I see in 2023 this pattern of he's turned it up, and it's going to increase, and it's going to increase, and it's going to increase, and he's going to attempt to lull us and your kids to sleep and ultimately to death through the weight and the pressure of social media. It's only going to increase. It's only going to get worse. Loneliness will increase. As social media destroys real relationships. This is another thing that your kids have said. They are battling loneliness. This is the most connected generation, and they are battling loneliness. They feel alone in this social media world because they feel like they can't live up to the standard that is put on them. They can't connect with this group of people, and this is only going to increase but see, this isn't just about social media on this one. If your kids make the choice to follow God, they may find themselves facing loneliness. And so I think this is a conversation that we have to have with our kids. Hey, how are you, how are you feeling? Are there ever, ever times that you feel lonely? Are there ever times that you just don't feel included, you feel excluded, you don't feel like you're just connecting? Or, you ever feel lonely? I think that is one of the most healthy conversations we can have with our kids. I'm already having those with my kids. Hey, how do you feel at school? Making friends? What, what do you do at recess? Who do you hang out with? Who do you, who do you play with? What do y'all play? Kids are facing loneliness. And as parents, we have got to have that conversation with them. The next thing I see our kids facing in 2023 is the effects of depression and anxiety will have a greater influence in their life. Now, this is whether or not your kid directly is experiencing uh, depression or anxiety. But I'm telling you, from what they're telling me and scholarly journals that I'm reading about the research and the data of how many kids are facing depression and anxiety... It is going to begin to affect your kids and my kids, even if they're not directly 
feeling it. Even if they're not directly battling depression, their friends are. And their friends are coming to them and talking to them about these issues. This is only going to increase. And we have to be ready for it. And we have to have this conversation. And we have to teach our kids how to navigate it. I've had kids that they have had, they've tried to navigate another kid's depression, another kid's anxiety. They end up taking that weight on them. And before you know it, now they're walking around in depression. Now they're sad. Now they're, it's a strategy of the enemy. As parents, we can head this off. As parents, we can recognize that they are facing this. And we can head it off. We can prevent it from happening. We can teach them how to handle it. Hey, when you have a friend that's battling this, here's what, here's what you say. Here's the conversation. Or sometimes I've told them this. Listen, you need to stay away from them. You're not their savior. You're not their protector. It's not your calling or your job to save them. Because I'm more, honestly, I'm more worried about saving my kid than I am yours. I love your kids. I love those kids I don't even know. But I want to save my kids. Number six, the girls, and really, I, I say girls, but I, I'm going to say boys too. Girls and boys, but I wrote it this way. Girls will have a harder time finding a spouse who has not spent his teenage years in defilement with pornography. This is what we're facing. And this is, this, and this is how I'm thinking about my three daughters right now, eight, six, and three. As things get darker, as access to social media and access to pornography gets worse and worse and easier and easier to access, it is going to be more difficult for these young girls to find a spouse that didn't spend their teenage years in defilement with pornography. And that, that's changing over to boys too. It is going to be more difficult for your boys to find a girl that hasn't done the same thing. So let's talk about it. Let, let's talk, this should be a conversation we should be talking to our children about pornography, about the effects of pornography, about what it does, about how it destroys your frontal lobe, about how it changes your view on marriage and it changes your, your view on sex and it changes your view on, on what a, a relationship between a man and a woman is. We should be having this conversation because it's getting worse. My wife and I are already praying, God who is that young man that's being raised right now? That their parents are taking that stand and even at a young age, protecting their eyes, protecting what they see. Listen, my kids don't have access to the internet. They don't have a phone. They're, they're eight, six, and three. But they have classmates that have phones. And you can't prevent everything that just pops up on a TV. So this is, this is what we're doing. We are training our kids that we look away. When there are things out of your control, you look away. As Daniel said, I'm not going to participate in that. I'm not going to take that food. I'm not going to drink that. It was offered to him. He didn't ask for it. But he said, I'm going to look away. I'm not going to participate in that. And I'm telling you, come watch TV with me. You'll think something's wrong with my kid because they're, they're a little aggressive with it. If a commercial comes on, they don't know. I mean, it's hard. I'm like, baby, don't break your neck. But that's what we're, we're teaching them. We look away. We don't have to participate in it. And you better believe that conversation is going to be uncomfortable. When my daughters are a little older, it is going to be uncomfortable. I'm probably not going to get everything right. I'm probably not going to say everything right. I'm probably going to fumble through my words. But I am going to grit my teeth and get through it. It is my responsibility 
to protect my kids. It's my responsibility to instruct my kids. And we are going to have these conversations. Next thing is teenagers will lose respect. This is what I see happening 2023 and beyond. Teenagers will begin to lose respect for their parents as they begin to rise and rebel against them. This is one of the things we see in Scripture that the end times talks about, that children will rise or rebel against their parents. And I see one of the first things happening in that is they will begin to lose respect for their parents. You know, this idea of, well, respect me because I'm your parent. I think that's digging a hole. If that's our attitude and that's our approach, well, you have to respect me because I'm your parent. That's digging a hole. We've decided we are going to earn and maintain our kids' respect for us by the way we live our lives, by the examples we set, by the way we instruct them, and then also live our lives in the same way. Listen to me. Satan wants nothing more than for your kids to lose respect for you. That's what he wants. He wants them to lose respect for you so that you lose influence with them, so that you can't instruct them, so that you can't teach them, so that whatever you say just goes right over and they brush it off and they go find whatever teacher they want, whatever they want to hear. It's the attack of the enemy. And so we said, we are going to fight against this. We are going to make sure that we earn our kids' respect. We're going to make sure we spend the ample time with them, invest into them, instruct them, teach them, coach them, and let them see this is who your parents are, and this is why you should respect us. And we want them to see that God's blessing on our life, that whenever you follow God, that there's a blessing to that. And we're going to earn and maintain their respect. So what's our role in helping them fight these things? Listen, this is, I gave you eight things that I see your kids facing in 2023. And we could stay all day if we just kept talking about the things that they've told me. Well, what is our role in helping them fight this? Well, we have to take a hard stance a hard, unwavering stance against culture. We have to take that stance and say, no, enough is enough. I'm not letting culture rule. Because listen, at the end, whenever we're standing there giving an account, we don't get to go, hey, wait, culture. See, look, this was culture's fault. I'm not blaming culture. I'm going to blame myself. It's going to be completely on me. And it's going to be completely on you. And we can't blame culture. We have to stand against culture. We have to be counterculture. We have to teach what their true image is. Listen, this is especially important if you have girls. We have to teach what their true image is or the world is going to sell them a cheap lie. This is one of the number one things that our girls are facing is what is their true image. Their image is under attack constantly, in person, on social media. They're told that they're not good enough, they're not pretty enough, they're, they're to this, they're to that, they're not enough of this. And their image is constantly under attack. But listen, this is what I'm teaching my girls. Psalm 139, verse 13. Tell my girls, you were formed in your mother's womb. This is what it says. For you were formed, you formed my inner inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it 
well, and this is what I'm teaching my daughters. You were formed in your mother's womb by a creator, by God. You were fearfully and wonderfully and perfectly made. And I'm telling them, I know that in my soul. I know that and believe that. And I want you to know that and you believe that. How dare someone else who was created try to tell what God created that you're not good enough? But that's what the world's doing and that's what culture's doing because they're after their identity. We have to instill godly teaching because the world is going to call it a lie. It's going to call it bigotry. It's going to call it non-inclusive. Listen, this is the message that our kids are hearing. We are teaching them and raising them in godly homes and instructing them in church. And then the message of this culture that they're living in is, yeah, but that's not right. Yeah, but let me show you a better way. Yeah, but let me show you why that's wrong. Let me show you why that's not inclusive. Let me show you why, oh, that, that's not love. That, they have a million reasons and a million excuses. And we have got to help them fight against this. And we have got to instill these godly principles and these godly teachings on the inside of them to the point where their kids are just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they're faced in this, this culture, they can actually stand up against it because it's on the inside of them. We have to model a commitment to God. Again, these are things that I'm doing. I am modeling a commitment to God that God is number one in my home. God is number one in my life. Nothing passes that. My middle child, Nora, she's six. She's a little fireball if you've met her. I'll tell her, Nora, I love you more than anything in this world. And she'll cut me a look and she'll say, you mean not more than God and Jesus, right? It, it's cute, it's precious, but listen, this is what I'm instilling in her. God has first place. And I'll tell my, absolutely, you're right, Nora. It's not what I meant. You're right, I love God more than anything. And then I will teach her and I'll say, you know why? Because God saved me. You know, I tell my kids I'm not perfect. They don't have to know every detail in my life, but I, I let them know, hey, listen, I, I made mistakes. I'm not perfect. And by God's grace and his mercy, he looked down and loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me. Those are the conversations I have with my kids. We have to lead in purity. If we're going to expect our kids to walk in purity, we're going to have to lead in purity. And obviously, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, pornography or sexual behavior and all that, but I want to take another, another route on this. We have to lead, us as parents, as grandparents, we have to lead in what we see, in what we hear, and in what we speak. We have to lead in the music that we're listening to, in the TV shows that we're watching. We have to lead in the words that come out of our mouth. I've had teenagers come up to me, Pastor Brandon, I want to stop cussing so bad. But my dad, I'm around, I'm, I told y'all, kids will tell on you. I still love you. But we have to lead in this. We have to lead a counterculture home, and we have to lead in purity. We have to lead in what we're speaking, lead in what we're seeing, and lead in what we're hearing. And this is how we will help them fight this culture. And we have to set the standard. 
not let the culture set the standard. I have set the standard in my home, my wife and I together. We set the standard of our home. We set the standard that we're asking our kids to raise up to, not the culture. Let me give you an example. I remember when I was, um, I was just old enough to actually, I, I had to have a, a license to hunt. And so I had to go to hunter safety class. Um, and, you know, you go through all that. And I realized in that moment, now I'd been raised around guns and I'd been raised hunting. And let me just say this. Don't ask me to go hunting with you. Because I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to have fun. Because you're not going to take it as serious You're not going to take gun safety as serious as what I was raised to take gun safety. My dad set a bar. He he set the bar and said, this is the standard. And if you didn't meet that standard, you wouldn't, no, you wasn't going hunting. Maybe you'd go with him, but you couldn't carry your own gun. There was a standard that he said, this is the standard for our home. You have to meet it. Now, when I went to this gun safety class, I'm sitting there going, what is this? I mean, their, their standard was way down here. I mean, someone's going to get their head shot off. Because I had lived with this standard. Raising kids is no different. When we set the standard at this level, we say, this is how our home's going to operate. This is how our family's going to operate. This is the standard. Then when the world comes in and says, here's the standard, our kids will be ready and prepared and go, no. That is so far below the standards that I've lived by, the standards that I've accepted for my life. And that's my hope for my kids. It's my hope for your kids that we would set the standard. Joshua said it this way. One of the most famous scriptures, because there's just some famous scriptures in the Bible, right? Joshua 24, 15. Joshua's speaking to the people and he says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether gods, the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's he saying? As for me and my house, here's our standard. Whatever you decide to do, okay, you can follow the Amorites. You can follow the world's system. You can follow the world's, the world's culture. But as for me and my house, as for me and my kids, this is the standard. I set the standard and no one else gets to speak to that standard. No one else's opinion matters on that standard. If your standard's down here, maybe you should get some opinions involved. I'm saying I set the standard for my family, and I believe you should set the standard for your family. I believe it is our responsibility, because if we don't set the standard, we are digging a hole. We have to set the standard in our family. I want to answer this question um, before we close this morning, well, what, if, what if I haven't gotten this right? Because I know, listen, th- this can feel like, man, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, well, I haven't done any of this, or I, I did one of that, but I didn't do that, and I'm not doing this, and man, I don't have a standard set. Hey, listen, that's what we're here for. Can I tell you that I would love nothing more, and I know Pastor Josh and our wives, we would love nothing more than to sit down with you and help you. I'm telling you, there is nothing more important that I can do, that we can do as a church family, as a church staff, than help and minister to the family and help you navigate these things. 
I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what we have going on. I know some people think, what do you do at a church during the week? We do a lot. But I would love to take anything that I'm doing, set it aside, sit down with parents and say, hey, what's going on? What can we do? How can we make this change? How can we navigate this? How can we fix this? How can we, how can we change this? How can we set that standard where, where you believe it should be? How can we do that? So wh- whether you're a, a, a parent, a grandparent, we want to help. We want to help you. And let me say this too. If you're a grandparent in here, you might not want to hear this, but your job's not done. <laughs> your job's not done. I know, you're like, got my kids out. Your job's not done. Your kids still need you. Your, your grandkids, they still need you. If nothing else, they need to see what it's like in their latter years to walk out a life in Christ, to live for God. They need to see that. They're seeing everything else. They need to see that. I want to read this last scripture to you because there's one more thing that I believe your kids can expect in 2023. Daniel chapter 1 Verse 8, it said, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And verse 9 is what I want you to see. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuch. I believe your kids can expect and we can expect that God will give them favor, show them compassion. As they make choices to live like Daniel, live like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they make those choices to to be that standard and say, no, I'm not going to behave that way. No, I'm not going to give in. I'm going to live a counterculture life. I believe as they make those choices, and I believe as you make those choices, you are going to receive God's favor. You're going to receive God's compassion. Okay, you messed up. Okay, you didn't do this right. You have God's mercy and God's compassion ready to be applied in your life. You have God's favor in your life ready to go. And I believe in 2023 and beyond, we can expect God to move on our kids' behalf. Amen.